Welcome to the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you haven't joined us before, we're passionate about all things internal medicine and helping you become the best tech you can be. We'll be discussing interesting internal medicine diseases, how to work closely with pet parents, and how to become the go-to tech in your practice. Now, let's start the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. Hope everybody's doing well, and thank you for making a commitment to learning. I'm your host, Jordan Porter, joined by the fabulous and <laughs> talented Yvonne Brandenburg. Hey. <laughs> What's up? I'm in a good mood right now. <laughs> Despite the fact that I just spent like four hours like scrubbing. Nice. Boards and walls and floors. Ugh. But then I laid on the floor with puppies, so. That, I mean, honestly, that'd probably take away any horrible feeling about cleaning floors and scrubbing. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe not. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't that bad. It needed to be done. It just sucks that it took a whole Saturday to do so. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, you've got a decent-sized house, but you also have puppy poo to deal with. Ugh. The puppy poo is like, dude, it like hardens like cement. Oh, I'm sorry. It's It's all good. It's probably a good thing you have hardwood floors or yeah, 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 exactly. Whatever it is. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's, it seems to be pretty durable. They've spilled their like water dish several times and like, cause we're learning how to drink water and we're learning how to eat food and, um, it's been, it's been fun. How's your, how's your week been? How's Kazaz? Uh, cause he's doing okay. He's, um, oh God, they're, they're, they're still learning each other. We're like at six weeks at this point. So considering it's only been six weeks, they're doing pretty well. Um, they've, they've taken to snuggling more, like they actually lay kind of close to each other, which is cool. Um, randomly, I don't know if they're playing or what, because it's not like anybody hisses or growls or anything, but they'll just like chase each other around the house and like smack each other and like kissy tried to body slam Nikki the other day and I was just like no <laughs> take <Stay> back <laughs> I was like don't jack him up okay so I mean I mean Nikki's doing really well because he's back up to uh the prednisolone twice a day and he's got his GABA so he's feeling pretty good and gained some weight back and so I think he's I mean I talked to the neurologist and he's like, just leave it. <laughs> he's like, if it's working, we'll just yeah, don't mess with keep it. Keep an eye on him, make sure he doesn't become diabetic. And so Oh my God, that would be <sighs> like the last thing that you need. Oh my god. I know, right? I'd be like, I can't. I'm done. I don't know. Yeah. Actually, I probably wouldn't be done because I'd be like, all right, I'll do insulin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, there's no way. You would just be like, nope, that's <sighs> it. <laughs> we're calling it here. Right. After like everything else we're doing with him. Oh my God. Yeah. I feel really bad. Cause like, so Pua, we had her looking pretty good. Um, just like starting to look like a normal dog with like gaining weight and stuff like that. But now all mm. of her hair is falling out and dude, she looks, she looks so mangy. Like it's just, there's no fleas. There's no ticks. I'm pretty sure it's just postpartum stuff. Like I did, yeah. I did a Dr. Google thing. Um, cause I, <laughs> I don't know repo stuff. <laughs> right. Oh my God. Um, which I mean, blows my mind every time I do it. And then I'm like, I have, I have like a million textbooks at home. Like, why am I Googling stuff? 
Yeah, no, I do. I, I will Google, but like, I look and see like, okay, what website is this coming up on? Yeah. Like, oh too. yeah, no, not that one. <laughs> I mean, the hair that's coming out is very like, it's mostly on her legs. It looks very demodexy, but she's like not itchy. And right. I mean, like, I wouldn't be surprised if she has demodex, but like, I can't do anything about it right now anyway. So it's like, right. Oh my God. I'm not overly. It's not. I mean, honestly, it makes sense that it would be hormones and stuff like that because her body's trying to feed 12 puppies. So I mean, I'm pretty sure I lost a ton of my hair, like after I had my kids. All the hormone fluctuations. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm pretty sure I remember being in the shower being like, is it going to stop coming out? (laughs) It's just, it was so long ago. And I try to block out like the thought of ever having another kid. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, nope. We're done. We're oh, happy. Oh man, that's so funny. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, other than that, I mean, like she's she's looking good. Other than looking mangy, the puppies are doing phenomenal. They're I can't believe how big so they fat. are. Yeah, I was still so super cute. worried about my runt there for a while because, like, while everybody else is pushing six pounds, he was still under three, mm. and like he was only gaining like an ounce a day, and everybody else was gaining like four or five ounces a day and like oh my god like they've all like I'm I haven't weighed him in probably three days but I'm certain that Bonnie and Glenn are at least seven pounds now (laughs) the last time I weighed them they were six pounds like seven and a half ounces that was Glenn and that was three days ago so I I, yeah they're big (sighs) yeah and Dan's pretty big too. He's up there. Um, and, and so, I mean, there's, they're fluffy. Remember when I said that I would really hope that they came out fluffy and all of them are fluffy. <laughs> all of them are fluffy right now? All of them, except for my little runt. My little runt has like a shorter haircut. His is very like, his is weird. It's very, very dense, but it's short. Mm. Like it's not pit bull hair and it's not like bulldog hair. It's like huh you know like when you have like a Samoan and like their hair is just so thick at the base like hmm that's what it's like you go to like part it and you just can't find the skin that's how most of their hair is like it's it's very interesting interesting I wonder what they were mixed with I know I want to order a DNA test and be like what are you guys (laughs) well the crazy thing is is like they could all be different I know. Well, because that's what I was telling Matt. I was like, dude, this run is like, it's, he's consistently half the size of everybody else. And he was born like just, he seemed underdeveloped. Like he still had a soft spot versus nobody else did. Mm-hmm. And like, I was like, I wonder if he was conceived like a week later because like he is behind. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely possible. Yeah. It's crazy. Anyway, that's <sighs> my puppy update. So. Puppies. This week we're getting back to normal with our podcast, huh? I know it's, it's, it's nice. <laughs> May has been so busy and it's yeah. only halfway through. Yeah. Cause you're doing stuff. You're, you're getting your presentations ready for AC AM. Yeah. Which I can't believe that that's less than a month away, which what? Yeah. Um, and then I have another presentation that we talked about last week for MASH yeah um 
And then I think I have something next month. I just got to go through my email. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I know. And, I, and I'm trying to get all my PowerPoints and everything done for my respiratory course, which is, which is good. I mean, it's, it's, I've gotten two and three quarters out of the four done. So it's not, it's not horrible. Um, yeah. It's just, you know, yeah. trying to get them all done and not looking horrible. Right. Yeah. I got to make one PowerPoint by Wednesday. Mm. Um, and so, I don't know. I mean, it's just been a busy month between like adding in my 18 dogs and, um, also school's almost done. So like the kids, I got to like wrap up stuff and I got to oh, wow. send all their school supplies back. And I'm just like, man, when am I supposed to do that? Cause like, I don't know. I'm just so behind on like life. I just finished my taxes and they're due on Monday. And I was like, man. Ugh. Yeah. It's very unlike me, but you know, as I've mentioned in the mental health series, I've been going through some stuff. Right. Oh my God. But Matt was yeah. like, he was like, so our taxes aren't done yet. And I was like, no. Cause like normally I get them done and we have them back in February. Like mm. I get them done by the end of January and we have money back by February. And yeah, this year I waited till three days before. It oh my was gosh. Due. Yeah. I'm definitely working on it and, you know, doing the business stuff. I'm like, what <laughs> I need, yeah. I need what form. <sighs> so any of you guys out there that are, do- that are running your own business, I feel you. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So doing that. Um, yeah. Yeah busy yeah yeah and it's it, not even like it's gonna lighten up because bailey's got right? summer camp next month damn all right and then yeah that's so crazy. she's going to summer camp next month and then it's connor or no then it's bailey's birthday in july well actually it's like our entire family's birthday in right? july it's my birthday <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then connor's birthday in august so it's like and then we start school again in august and it's just like oh my god like it's going to fly months, by, but it's going to, I know. It's so crazy. I feel like at the end of August, early September, I'll probably be able to breathe because the kids should be back in school, like an actual school. Dang. And like when I get home, like I can just drop them off at like their after school activities and like mm. just go about my normal life versus like my <laughs> days off. Like, and I'll have a day right. off again. Oh my God. I just remembered <laughs> Like I won't nice. have to like homeschool kids on my days off. Oh my God. Wow. That'll be, that'll be amazing. I should get some stuff done, huh? Right. I know. <laughs> so please come back in September. <laughs> right. I know. Yeah. Well, speaking of weird stuff, um, I have to share this because I feel like people People will be interested. So uh, I I <laughs> sent for Jordan a text message at four o'clock in the morning, California time. I was like, yeah, on her Thursday. <laughs> I read it though, and it's like you're the only one I know who will be up right now. I'm like exactly. the one time the time difference actually like helps. <laughs> right. Um, I sent a text message basically freaking out because I woke up at four in the morning from a dead sleep, dead sleep. I was in the middle of a dream, woke up because I swear I heard a bug in my ear. <laughs> I would have lost it. I, well, it's, 
I, <laughs> I sat up and Kevin's like, what's wrong? And I started crying. I was like, oh my God, I think there's a plug in my ear. And he was like, what? Like, you don't even understand. Like I've had this like bug in my ear phobia since I was a little kid. If you've ever watched Star Trek's Wrath of Khan, you understand completely why I have this irrational fear. Cause my dad made me watch it when I was a kid. <laughs> horrible. Um, so of course it was like four in the morning. I was wide awake. And because I was freaking out, I did not go back to sleep. <laughs> and so I was like awake and I called like Geyser, which is my doctor. And I set up an urgent care appointment and they did this whole, like, okay, so, you know, you don't, you didn't feel any pain. And I was like, no, I didn't feel any pain. And they're like, and there's no blood coming out of your ear. And I was like, no, there's no blood coming out of my ear. And I was like, why would you tell me these things? And then, um, it sounds like they were asking about like a ruptured eardrum. Well, I, and I think, you know, if you get bit by something or you're bleeding, like those are reasons to go to the ER. So I was like, no. And he's like, okay, well, if you notice any of those things, go to the ER. And I was like, okay. And then, um, he's like, oh, I see in your history that you have a, you've had a history of ruptured eardrums. And I was like, yes. And he was like, huh. I was like, yeah, well, I, you know, I've had it and I've been, you know, they've looked at my ears since then and, and it's definitely healed over. And he's like, well, that's good. He's like, cause otherwise, you know, it can go into your sinuses. And I was just like, did you just legit (laughs) tell me that? I was like, I was like, okay, well, I wasn't totally freaking out before, but now I 5,000% am. Like so, a bug just crawling around in your forehead. Uh, right. This is what I'm saying. I was like, uh, he's like, it protects your outer ear from your inner ear. And it also makes it so, you know, <laughs> I was like, I was like, I, I mean, I know that this is possible. And so the fact that you're telling me this is just like making me feel horrible. So anyways, I sat like in my living room trying to like sleep, but there was definitely no sleeping that happened. And I went to the urgent care appointment and I was like, kind of laughing. Cause I'm like, dude, that's me. I'm the weirdo that gets the weird things that happened to her. Um, and, uh, the doctor comes in and she uses the little otoscope and she's like, no, I, everything's clear. I can see your eardrum. And I was like, oh, thank God. I was like, I didn't, I'm glad it was nothing. Right. So I go to work, I make it to work on time. Thank God. Cause I was late shift and, uh, or the later shift. It's not really late shift. It's eight 30 instead of seven 30. And the next day I was like, Oh, I should clean out my ears. Cause you know, before they, like they say, until you look, do not put anything in your ears. Cause you could shove a bug further down if there's a bug in your ear. So I like, well, I don't think, I don't think you're supposed to, I mean, well, I got reprimanded at my last doctor's appointment because she's like do you clean your ears and I was like yeah I have OCD and it's like part of my thing (laughs) it's just like every day I'm just like she's like you're scratching your eardrums really bad you need to stop and I was like oh my god okay cool how (laughs) how do I stop oh my god (laughs) like how do you stop so anyway you're not supposed to do it at all in general let alone shoving a bug towards your eardrum (laughs) I just wipe it out it's not like I go digging to China in my ears Anyways, I wiped it out and I like, look at the cotton swab. And I was like, oh my God, there was a I want to know where he was, <laughs> where was he hiding when the doctor looked? Don't know. So In anyways, your sinuses maybe? No, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> 
So anyways, I like broke off the cotton swab and I had, <laughs> you know, the urine specimen cups. I have one of those because I have, you know, a first aid kit for my animals at home. So I put it in that and I go to work because I'm, I have to look and I look under the microscope and it's a freaking bug. It is a bug. I don't know what kind of bug because I smashed it at that point because I just wiped it out of my ear. But I was like, I was like, you guys, I wasn't crazy. There's a bug in my ear. I'm pretty <laughs> sure my earwax killed it, but it was there and my doctor missed it. And I was just like, oh my God. So anyways, um, yeah, that was my week of um, parasite hell because I hate parasites. So the fact that there was one in my ear and I don't know what kind makes me paranoid. It could have been an ant or it could have been a spider or teeny tiny fly. I don't know. It It was little. It didn't look like a spider. Yeah, I don't know. It was brown. I mean, I don't know how much you can tell, but it was brownish. (laughs) (laughs) So like mostly transparent when you put it on a microscope. Yeah, I mean mostly. (laughs) It's opaque. So that was my story this week and it kind of ruined my week. I, I <laughs> anyways, yeah, my husband still doesn't believe me. Are you going to sleep with like headphones on or like uh, earplugs in? <sighs> no, because I honestly, I hate things in my ear when I'm sleeping because I've tried that. I've tried the ear or earplugs because my husband used to snore really bad. He doesn't anymore. It's not, well, I mean, he snores a little bit, but not bad but I can't, I can't sleep with things in my ear. So I've been putting the blanket over my head. Oh yeah. <laughs> Cause I'm a that's, side that's, sleeper. Yeah. So that's what I do too. So that's kind of, kind of been working. Although I keep waking up thinking there's something in my ear. Cause yeah. Now I'm paranoid. Yeah. Yeah. Cause what if it had a, like a little family? Oh my God. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not helping. <laughs> Uh, yeah so one of my phobias come to life this week it was great yeah yeah dad bug is just like hey guys new house and oh then, my like, god i hate you and... so much right now stop it Ugh. anyway we're talking respiratory this week <laughs> <laughs> we, we do have a shout out though yeah. another one i was gonna say we do have a shout out this one is from our facebook page um so thank you um and it's from a jordan but not our jordan a new a different jordan so no, but Jordan's Jordan, are pretty awesome, right? <laughs> it is true. Um, Jordan Nicole Howell, um, she said, just learned about this podcast and I love it. I've been in GP for 10 years and we all know it's possible to learn something new every day in vet med, no matter how long you've been in. Like that's major truth right there. Uh, right? This podcast has also taught me a few interesting things and I enjoy listening to the girls. The information is super informative, but it doesn't feel like you're in class because they're funny. Thank God. (laughs) 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 Keep up the great work, ladies. Thank you. And, um, I'll be reaching out to you a little bit and so you can get your sticker because you definitely need your sticker because you called us funny and not like in a bad way. (laughs) I mean, I'm just happy that people listen to us and like I want to listen to us more, but stories. <laughs> yeah. And my bizarre analogies. <laughs> you and I both. <laughs> yeah. 
it's so, entertaining you know? right we try we try we try to keep it entertaining but yet educational um so speaking of the educational part of it um we're still working on race approval sorry um we we promise we'll get there we're just we're a little behind on things so we're working on it um but you could definitely still use it as self-study no matter if it's race approved or not um so just kind of keep that in mind and um well like we said previously we'll let you know as soon as the the race approval has gone through and it's actually approved so Yay, race approval. We have, mo- like, it's like half ready to go. We just got to do it. No, <laughs> like, I, think it's, I think it's more than halfway ready to go. Yeah, I think you're it's, right. It's further along. We did, all the, we did all the hard work already. We just got to, like, <laughs> put it into a form and Dot the I's it. and cross the T's. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's so. there. It's just May is just busy. <laughs> yeah. So this week though, I'm, I'm excited because we're doing respiratory. I'm actually excited about next series too, um, mm-hmm. because we've already touched on respiratory. So, but true. also today's episode, I'm like, LARPAR, mm. <laughs> go see a surgeon. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Yeah. So we're, we're doing LARPAR. So laryngeal paralysis and the unprotected trachea, um, and, you know, re- reminder to review episode 28, which we just played, um, which is the intro for upper and lower respiratory. So that'll, that'll help as far as like anatomy goes and, and that kind of thing. So technically laryngeal paralysis. So the definition of it is either a unilateral or bilateral paralysis of the muscles moving their arytenoid cartilage. Um, this can be idiopathic. It can be trauma. It can be a pie, uh, polymyopathy. It could be a laryngeal nerve disease and it can be congenital. So there's a lot of things that can cause it. Um, and, and sometimes we just don't know why, but some dogs get uh, LARPAR. Um, so we'll, we'll talk about that in just a second. Um, just kind of a, cause I don't know. I always forget this. So the larynx, so the larynx is considered the voice box um, because you've got your vocal cords that are part of that. But the larynx itself is a tube that connects um, the, the pharynx to the trachea. Uh, so it's that little bit of an in-between. Uh, it protects the airway from whatever we swallow from going into the trachea. So the, the laryngeal flap, right? The epiglottis um, that we wanna make sure protects it. So trachea opens and it's protected by that epiglottis. The epiglottis is a flap of tissue that projects forward. So rostral, the tip of the epiglottis actually tucks up into the soft palate while we're breathing. So, um, if we're breathing through our nose, right, the, the epiglottis kind of keeps that nice and open, um, protects the, um, the, sorry, the esophagus. Um, when we're swallowing, it springs down and then closes the trachea and makes it so the swallowing, the swallowed material goes dorsally, so towards the back into the esophageal opening, which is really bizarre in animals. Like, I don't understand how they don't get more like aspiration pneumonia because whatever you're swallowing is, is heavier than you know, air. And so I think gravity 
like in my head, the trachea should be above the esophagus, but it's not. So that's why we have that flap. Are you laughing at me? I am. It's just funny. <laughs> it's just funny. Mm-hmm. I know. It's like anatomy stuff. I know. I mean, like I, I get what you're saying. It's just funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I have a picture and, and we can show it on, or we can share it on social media. That's basically just the cartilage. There's a couple of different cartilages that are involved with the uh, larynx. So you have your epiglottis, which is tissue. Then you have the cricoid cartilage. That's where, so it's a highland cartilage. So it's that smooth glassy cartilage that provides a place of attachment for the ligaments, bones, and the rest of the cartilage. You have the hyoid bone, which the tongue actually attaches to, and then thyroid cartilage, which, um, it kind of folds and, and meets in the middle. And that's what makes up the Adam's apple, which I think is really interesting. Um, and the thyroid cartilage has nothing to do with your thyroid. It actually um, houses the vocal folds, which is hilarious. I'm like, so why did they call it the thyroid cartilage? I, I saw that was some it. human who was mistaken. <laughs> they're like, oh, this they has the thyroid. That. And it's like, just kidding. Yeah. Like once they cut it open, they're like too late to change the name. <laughs> right. They're like, oh, whoops. Um, okay. So when we're talking about vocal cords, the vocal cords, so they're protected by the thyroid cartilage. Those, the vocal cords themselves are attached to the retinoid cartilage. And then the muscles uh, adjust the tension of the vocal cords or the um, retinoid cartilage movement. So there is, there are some ligaments in the larynx. Um, and so the, the retinoid cartilage is, so when you're intubating, right, um, it is dorsal. So they're dorsal when you're looking at it. So they're the top part um, and you mm -hmm. can kind of see them. I don't know if you guys, well, probably when they're taking breaths, you can kind of see it opening and closing and the cartilage is at the top of it and helps it move. Um, so that's just kind of when we're thinking about like a retinoid cartilage, it's the, the upper portion of what's moving when they're breathing. Does that all make sense? Yes. Probably harder without pictures, but. Yeah, we should share anatomy pictures. book is for. <laughs> that's who, or next time you intubate a dog, see if right? you can <laughs> see if you can see it. So, um, history questions, how it might present, obviously, if you've seen a LARPAR, you've, you can probably take a guess as to some common breeds. Um, and I think I mentioned it last week, didn't I? <laughs> probably. Cause I, yeah. yeah. Uh, so common, it's a, it's a common acquired problem in like middle age to older, uh, large and giant breed dogs labs are definitely, I want to say at the top of the list and is labs are chocolate labs <laughs> children for this. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You know, I don't see very, very many yellow labs with it though. It's always chocolate or. Yeah. Oh no. I've seen a ton of yellow labs with it. Weird. Mm. And then Irish setters and great Danes. It is seen less often as a hereditary or like a congenital disease, but it can be seen in Bouvier's 
Leon Burgers. Oh, Leon Burgers. Leon Burgers. I've yeah. never heard of that breed. Oh my God, they're beautiful. I'll have to show you a picture of them. They're really Siberian cool. Siberian Huskies, yeah. Bulldogs, Shocker, and then <laughs> Racing Sled Dogs, yeah. which I find weird that it's a congenital thing in Racing Sled Dogs. I mean, hmm. not that it's congenital because I imagine that they breed those dogs like within that inner circle, but like, yeah, because I would think it would be acquired because they're racing sled dogs. Yeah, but I mean, a racing sled dog dog usually has a harness on. Yeah, but if you think about like, have you ever seen like those videos and they're just like barking and going crazy and That's constantly true. tugging yeah. on their harnesses and stuff like like it just, I just feel like the excitement and like. I don't know, breathing in freezing cold air all the time. <laughs> well, maybe that keeps the inflammation down. I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I know. I, did, I actually thought it was interesting that it could be considered a congenital disease. Um, that would suck. I don't know if I've ever seen it in a young animal, though. I've never seen it in any of these breeds that we talked about. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. I'm like, oh, I don't know if I've seen it. Because um, I feel like if it, if a bulldog came in with it, like bulldogs have so many other respiratory issues anyway. Oh my God. Well, could you so imagine sad. correcting, say you corrected a congenital soft palate and stenotic nares and all that stuff just to determine after correcting all that, that your bulldog then had congenital LARPAR. That'd be horrible. I would be angry. <laughs> <laughs> Not like, at like anybody any, other than the bulldog. I know, <laughs> like, like they don't need any more problems with their respiratory system. Like, right? Ugh, I mean, yeah, that's just nature trying to say that bulldogs <laughs> like shouldn't be here anymore. I like There's, them. There I are mean, many, many ways that nature is saying that. So, yeah, I mean, and, and it's crazy because I like I think of like the fact that it could be unilateral or bilateral. Yeah. Um, and we'll talk about that a little bit later when we're talking about like how to treat it but I mean obviously unilateral is better <laughs> because at yeah. least you can get some air in versus if mm -hmm. it's bilateral you know so what happens is so clinically right they come in with increased respiratory noise if you've ever heard them it's like you almost look at them and you're like you have LARPAR, right? <laughs> yeah. It is um, a very specific noise, kind of yeah. like how Parvo is a specific smell. Like. Yeah, exactly. Um, so they have that increased respiratory noise because their laryngeal flaps are not opening the way that they should. Um, and then they have decreased ex exercise tolerance because they can't breathe as well. So they're not able to cool themselves off. They're not allowed to get oxygen, all those things. Um, they can definitely come in respiratory distress because part of what happens is they can't breathe. So then they start panicking and trying to pant more, which causes more mm -hmm. issues. And then they start getting overheated because they're panicking and because they're trying to pant and because they're not moving the air, they're getting even hotter. So it's like, they can definitely come in and like major respiratory distress. And then yeah, it's, other very, it's a vicious cycle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another thing that some patient or some clients will see is a voice change. Um, typically it's a bark, but you can actually see LARPAR in cats, That's which that would be horrible. So you can hear a change in meow. Um, so it, it's, it is kind of crazy because, um, 
the the laryngeal folds what happens is the more that the, so when the animal breathes in right what's supposed to happen is the laryngeal folds open up right and let the air pass in but what happens is they breathe and that negative pressure from the chest actually like flaps and pulls those laryngeal folds over the trachea and it's like a slapping that happens and then they try to breathe out and it slaps open and it's just like this thing where they're slapping open and closed so much they actually get more inflammation and then there's it's again vicious cycle right so you have more inflammation which makes it harder to breathe and so these guys they just spiral um so kind of stopping that cycle before it gets too bad is one of the the goals for how we're going to deal with them. So some of the differential diagnosis, um, for laryngeal paralysis. So a myositis, so generalized like muscle issues, um, Mm -hmm. inflammation of those muscles, um, a recurrent laryngeal or vagal nerve tumor. Um, so if we've got Wow, you're just like going right into like the worst of the I worst. Know. <laughs> oh, well, these are the things we want to rule out, right? Yeah, um, I mean, okay. Yeah. <laughs> inflammation, not too horrible, right? I mean, yeah. yes, inflammation sucks, but it's not cancer. Um, mycena gravis because it's muscle weakness, right? Um, yeah, and we talked about that about the change in bark is like a pretty common complaint. Yep, exactly. Severe hypothyroidism, um, because severe hypothyroidism can cause, um, just muscle weakness. That's why we want to make sure that's not what's going on. Um, we have to make sure there's no trauma. So, you know, is, is it, I don't know, we've all seen them where they're, they're running and they get to the end of the leash and they yank on their neck. Um, that could cause Mm -hmm. trauma to the nerves there. Yeah. Um, I was surprised that you didn't put, um, like collapsing trachea on here too. Yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess that definitely should be one of the, the differentials, although. I mean, it has a different, different sound breeds. because there's a, <laughs> yes, small dog versus large dog, yeah. but I'm pretty sure. Didn't we do a clap? We did a collapsing trachea episode and mm-hmm. it can happen in large breed dogs. It just is true. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I would put that probably on the differential list too. Sorry. We can add that in. Yeah. Going straight for vagal nerve tumor. <laughs> I, I mean, <laughs> I didn't make it up. I found this in one of my books. Okay. <laughs> one of your brand new textbooks. I know. Yeah, exactly. The brand new textbooks. Um, and then, uh, a more widespread generalized neuro, uh, neurologic degeneration, so geriatric onset laryngeal paralysis and polyneuropathy, um, which is interesting because I, th- I think this is a newer classification of disease. Um, and they actually think that labs are predisposed to this polyneuropathy. Um, and, and that actually it's, it like travels, it like travels up their spine and then, Interesting. so it's like that you get the dogs that are ataxic in the back end yeah. and then they kind of get weakness in the front end and then they can kind of get lower par, which is crazy. <laughs> um, which so explains, you, I mean, like it's, I could see why they're classifying that as like a lab thing, because it's like every 13 year old lab I ever see. Right? <laughs> like, I know. And it's crazy. Cause like you think about it and you're like, oh yeah, no, that's definitely a thing. So, 
um, yeah, I was reading about it and I was like, huh, all right. I wonder if they actually had geriatric onset laryngeal paralysis and neuropathy and not just like arthritis and LARPAR, you know, cause that's yeah, what I think yeah. it was like, oh, you got arthritis, but it yeah, you're an old lab more than that. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. Yep. And then you have cancerous infiltration of the nerve, but I, I had, we had a cat two weeks ago that had like a, like a laryngeal tumor. Ooh. It, yeah. <laughs> we got a biopsy of it. Dude, the hardest cat I've ever intubated in my life, by the way, because mm. this tumor was big and yeah. it was infiltrating. So like, I mean, cats have a hard time opening anyway, but yeah. this cat, like it, there was no movement. I was like, what? what am I going to do <laughs> like without uh, hurting something? It was right. scary. Um, but I intubated it and, um, we got a biopsy of it and the biopsy report was weird. It was like precancerous cells. And we're like, what? It's huh. either cancer or not. Like, isn't, aren't non-cancer cells pre-cancer cell? Like someone in oncology huh. needs to explain that to me. It was weird. Um, Anyway, it grew super fast and we mm. ended up putting a feeding tube in the cat because after we got the original biopsy, um, it grew some more and the cat wasn't eating well. So we placed a feeding tube because mom didn't opt for the feeding tube when we were getting the biopsy the first time because she mm. was syringe feeding and it was going well, but then the cat started to not be able to swallow. Yeah. Um, so we put the feeding tube in, the cat did great for like two weeks and then wasn't able to breathe and like went into the emergency room snick and open mouth breathing and just oh, oh. I felt, the lady was so nice and the cat was nice and I was like I mean we we knew how it was gonna end it just sucked yeah yeah but anyway that was I my hate, finding, cat because kind of which is funny because I've definitely had cats with like masses but I I guess I just didn't think of it as larpar yeah I mean I think of it as the mass making it so the cat can't breathe. Right. I feel like for this, like there's not a lot of diagnostics, like initially, like we do our basic workup <laughs> of chem, CBC, UA, thyroid testing, yeah, um, radiographs to look for other issues. Um, especially like, because sometimes you can see like tracheal masses and stuff like yeah. that. So you definitely want to get a cervical view or neck view. Um, and then as well as three view thorax view, just to see all sides. Um, you won't be able to see the laryngeal function, but like I said, you can definitely see like secondary aspiration pneumonia tumors. Mm -hmm. um, the larynx always looks weird on x-rays. So I would never be able to tell if that's like abnormal. <laughs> I know. I always go, what is that? And I'm like, oh, right. That's supposed to be yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you can no. see like a deviation in the trachea though sometimes like not with yeah. larpar specifically but just but like with, with like tumors and stuff yeah. yeah um so that's pretty cool but usually for this we do like uh uh scopes we did one the other day actually um we call it the we, uh sedated laryngeal exam we don't call that's it what a we say. laryngoscopy no I'm i don't like, call it a laryngoscopy either it's that but we just call yeah, we it do sedated it. laryngeal exam <laughs> yeah that's what we that's what we call it too but it's usually like heavy sedation or light anesthesia because we want these patients breathing mm -hmm. um and it's needed to confirm so what happens is basically we want we want to sedate enough to the point where our patients aren't going to bite the scope but they're still <laughs> no. breathing enough like we don't want to make them dyspneic so if you push propofol too fast obviously they're not going to be able to 
hold a breath. So we, we push propofol. I mean, we generally push propofol super slow anyway, but for these, we just titrate it to affect enough yeah. to where I can open the mouth. Um, um I know too much anesthesia can affect the movement too. Yeah. I was gonna say, we usually don't pre-mend them if we're going to do we, a laryngeal exam. It depends. It depends on the situation. Like if they're anxious, we'll give Torb. Yeah. Or butorphanol. Yeah. I mean, and if it's an emergency, we give butorphanol and acepromazine. It's like wow, the one yeah. time we use acepromazine. <laughs> yeah. Well, and most of these, most of the ones we're doing laryngeal exams are, aren't uh, emergencies. Um, and so we want to see as much function as possible. So we try to yeah. just not give them any pre-med. Like we have the TORB drawn up because we usually end up doing not Torb just afterwards. a laryngeal exam, but something else too. So then we'll give the TORB as soon as we have seen the function and then, yeah. See, we don't see them as much anymore because now we're no longer in a building with a surgeon. Mm-hmm. And that was always something that we did at the same time that the surgeon was looking. Cause if the yeah. surgeon's going to correct it, he's going to look with us and confirm before we're like, okay, bye. Take it. Right. That's true. <laughs> like, we did a lot of like, um, or we do, we do a lot of uh, laryngeal exams and then like a bronchoscopy. Right. Yeah. And then it's like, and wake up. And if we go, oh yeah, no, they need a laryngeal tie back or something like that it'll get usually gets not done at the same time like yeah usually just checking to see what's going on and then we plan for surgery later kind of thing because most of the times the ones we're getting have have like pneumonia <laughs> oh, really? or yeah no, a history we were always getting recently <laughs> whenever we saw them we always had the emergencies they transferred to us through emergency for like dyspnea and mm. like i I've never seen a LARPAR for just an appointment. (laughs) Yeah, we did. Yeah. It's just not something that we do. And then, but so when you're looking though, so the laryngeal movements are either going to be absent or paradoxical with respiration. Um, And text can help too, by calling out like the phases of respiration. So what I'll do is I'll lay my hands on the chest of Mm -hmm. the dog usually. And I'll say in, in, in Mm -hmm. so that way when the doctor's looking um they can kind of see if the retinoids are moving paradoxically um are they are they opening during an in (laughs) are they closing on an in because if they're closing on an in that's paradoxical that's they should be opening on an in and not closing yeah yeah and then they're going to determine too if it's one side or the other or if it's bilateral Mm -hmm. um plus or minus a biopsy like so if we see atrophy of the muscles around the larynx um that's denervation atrophy yeah kind of interesting and i guess that's confirmatory but so is looking (laughs) well it's interesting because like in the in the textbook technically they say it's not but i'm like yeah I don't think, honestly, I don't think we've ever biopsied the laryngeal muscles Never unless, seen it. unless they do it during surgery, but I don't think I've ever gotten like, like during a tie back, like maybe yeah. they do one, but I don't think I've ever gotten from like the surgery team. Like here's your laryngeal muscle. Like I've never gotten that sample. So I really don't think my <laughs> doctors are doing it. Cause we're the ones reporting. So they would give it to us if that was the case. Well, that, and like, if they're doing a tie back anyway, mm-hmm. like if the owners are opting for a tie back, I would probably forego a biopsy and just be like, 
no i mean that sounds like what it is yeah please fix it yeah um do you guys do doxapram like during your laryngeal exam no we have it but no we don't because i don't we don't do it super frequently but every once in a while if they're just not cooperating like with their respiration like we'll give it to them but most of the times we don't have to yeah we've just had good luck with propofol Mm. light doses of propofol Mm -hmm. um special tests that can be done which is kind of interesting um so we could do the electromyography which we talked about a little bit during our nervous system episodes so it shows um positive sharp waves denervation potential (laughs) and sometimes myotonia so it, it just lets us know how the muscles are, are doing. So it's a special test that we could do. Have I ever seen it done? No. I don't even know how they would do it. Where do you put the, um, the like, like electro electron readers? Yeah. I would guess down in message. the throat because that's where the muscles are. I don't okay. need, I bet you anything, Brittany probably didn't even do them. Probably not. It's probably like a surgery specific thing if they're going to do it. Yeah. So. Anyway, hmm. moving on to treatment, because this is where I have a little bit more knowledge. I know, my <laughs> treatment. We got this. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> yeah. Wow. We kind of failed the testing part there. <laughs> well, I mean, honestly, like most of it... There's the by the book and then there's the real world. So (laughs) yeah. And, and most of the times, like we said, we're just doing like a laryngeal exam. We're looking to see what the function is. And I feel like for LARPAR, most of it is just, it's not diagnostics. Like that's not where the majority of stuff happens with LARPAR. It's treatment. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so like I have treated in the past, it's usually like emergency treatment. So these patients come in in respiratory distress. So that requires like O2 supplementation. Um, we do short acting steroids just to decrease that inflammation. So you will usually give like a dexamethasone injection or something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and then sometimes too, what we'll do just because, just working in IM, we're generally nervous about sedation for sedation yeah. purposes, like versus like for procedure purposes. So sedatives, um, such as ACE promazine, like I said, and then we'll either add in like buprenorphine or butorphanol for some patients. Butorphanol does work really well for respiratory patients and it's short acting, mm-hmm. shorter acting than buprenorphine. Yeah. Um, versus I feel like buprenorphine works better for like pain. Um, ACE promazine though, we dilute that to make it like a one mg per mil solution <laughs> Yep. <laughs> because, and then we'll do like 0.1 milligrams for like a lab and I'm like, yeah, <laughs> we're very hesitant about it, which is crazy. Cause like in GP, I was like, ACE for everybody. Oh my God. Our surgery department, just like everybody gets ACE, everybody gets dexmedetomidine and we're like, what? The first time I did a dexmedetomidine with my doctor, again, she's an internal medicine specialist. Yeah. I bet she was like, made me put a catheter in that dog. 
Yeah. And I was my, like, I, I have a wait, feeling my doctor probably what? would too. <laughs> it's like, we're putting a catheter in because we're giving Dex dome. I was like, what? No, I've never done this before. And I've used Dex I imagine, a ton. I imagine that if I were to give Dex Domator around my doctor and then me trying to explain to him that a heart rate of 50 on Dex Metatomidine oh my God. is normal, he'd be like, what? <laughs> like, right. No, and him and I would probably argue about it. That like she would, she would also make us put an SPO2 on this dog. And I'm like, oh, for sure. It's not going to, it's not going to read because their heart, it's 30 to 50. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No. Internal medicine doctors do not like ACE we, or dexmedetomidine. <laughs> we have a bottle of ACE. We throw it, every, we throw most of it out every time oh, it expires. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> and like, I think I maybe touch it once a year, probably less now that we don't work in a building with a surgeon. Like, right. I know I use um, it for like Larpar and trach tracheal claps those are like yeah. the only two we ever use it before <laughs> yeah us too also so some of these patients too like we kind of said can be hyperthermic so they can have a high body temperature because they're overworked and over panting and just getting excited especially too if you throw them in an o2 cage it gets very hot in there despite all the ice packs because they're just panting and panting and panting um so you really do have to be cautious when you throw these big labs, LARPAR labs into an oxygen cage um, to really monitor temperatures pretty frequently. Mm. Um, so active cooling is usually part of the process. Uh, if we can't control the respiratory distress, then what we'll do is we'll sedate and intubate. Um, sometimes a temporary tracheostomy oh. tube mm. can be considered. I've seen that once and I was like, oh my God. <laughs> Um, I don't think I've seen so, it with a LARPAR, but they've seen it talked once about with it. LARPAR. Yeah, they've talked about it, and we always go, "No, let's avoid it if we can." So yeah, we do too. It was one of those things. So we, the only reason why it happened is because this dog that we had, we we're getting ready to transfer it to surgery, mm. and then she had crashed like Ooh. right before. So I intubated her, and. I'm actually not hundred percent sure why they did a temp trach because she was intubated and breathing pretty well intubated. Mm. So I am a little confused, but it was one of those things where like they took over like right after. Mm. Um, so I'm not really sure, but anyway, temp trachs have been shown though to be a poor prognostic indicator for surgical patients just yeah. because they tend to experience more complications. And I want to say, I wonder, maybe that's the one that also had a tumor further below. I think that may have been, it, oh, it was like a double probably. whammy. Yeah. It wasn't like in the larynx, but it was a tumor that was further below. Yeah. Um, but that dog, yeah. Cause trach, tra um, tracheostomy tubes are well, the, so hard to maintain. And well, to it's not and, only that, but they were talking about how there's damage. There's potentially more damage to the nerves. And if that's already yeah, a problem, it. like it's, it just, they tended to have more issues, including like pneumonia and stuff like that after surgery. Um, if they had a temporary trachea, tracheostomy you know too. Just now that I'm thinking about it, I have seen a bulldog with LARPAR, congenital LARPAR, because he had all the problems, but he had a stoma, like a tracheal stoma, because mm -hmm. like they just couldn't correct his upper airway very well, like mm -hmm. aside from... And that dog lived with that. We didn't create the stoma. Mm. Um, but yeah, now, now that I remember that, that was a while ago. It wasn't really like my patient. It was just one of the things that I remember seeing come through the hospital. 
So crazy. So why does he have a hole in his neck? Right? Was he a smoker? Like, (laughs) he's like, no, I just needed a drink, dude. (laughs) I'm just a bulldog. (laughs) Oh my God. Seriously. Yep. Um, well, patient therapy is different. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, if they're not in respiratory distress, right? Um, so if we're doing outpatient care, it's going to basically just be relieving any of the signs of the airway obstruction. So using tranquilizers at home. So sending home some ACE so the pets don't get, you know, worked up <laughs> more than they should. And then corticosteroids um, just to kind of if they have a mild case, they just need some of that inflammation to go down before surgery. They'll do that. Um, if they're hypothyroid, just making sure to get them on supplementation because there have been some that once you get them on thyroid supplement, they actually can almost return to normal function, um, depending on how hypothyroid they are. If there's a severe obstruction tracheotomy, um, you can get a permanent one or a temporary one. Um, sedation. So acepromazine and trazodone, especially if there's a stressful situation at home, you want to change their collars to a harness style to avoid pressure on the larynx, causing more potential trauma, avoid heat or stressful situations where the dogs may pant, um, and trying to reduce the activity and just making sure that they are not increasing their weight. So probably reducing the kcals that they're taking in just to kind of help minimize the issues that we see with, um, you know, respiratory stuff. So it's, you know, just kind of keeping them maintaining mon- I would say monitoring really closely for any signs of aspiration. Um, so that's, that's stuff that for outpatient you can do. So surgical intervention, uh, I'm guessing Jordan probably doesn't have as much experience with surgical intervention. Definitely not. I just know <laughs> that we send it to surgery and that they're getting a tie back. <laughs> well, and it was interesting because I didn't even know that there was different kinds of surgery. <laughs> I think I remember reading about it when I was studying for my VTS stuff. Um, I apparently skipped but... right over that. <laughs> Clearly it didn't stick. I, I think like I remembered it long enough for my test and I was like, and eh, this is surgery. <laughs> so, yeah. like, well, and I think too, um, so the, the big, the big determining factors for surgery. So if it's unilateral, most of the times we'll start with just like the outpatient care and management, unless they're severely affected, then we just, you know, we'll treat them like they're a, a bilateral paralysis. But if they have bilateral paralysis, they definitely recommend surgery because they're the ones that are going to have the most trouble with breathing. So the most common one is a tie back. So what that is, is the arytenoid cartilage is actually sutured to open. So their trachea is always open, which is kind of scary. (laughs) Um, so the, the, really, the only thing protecting their trachea is the epiglottis. So as long as the epiglottis is working fine, shouldn't have problems too much. Um, so the, the tie back, the laryngeal tie backs, the kind of the most common one for laryngeal paralysis. Um, and so a couple of sutures that are placed into the retinoid cartilage and they're pulled back the, um, 
they're they reposition one of the arytenoids um of the opening or they reposition one of the arytenoids to the opening of the larynx and then the larynx is just made a little bit larger so the opening's larger to help with airflow um really the problem um is that there's there's really only a couple of millimeters of change that happens um, in their retinoids. And so, you know, that's depending on what's happening, that's where the, the most common complication is. Um, if too much of the cartilage is moved, then the larynx can't properly close and aspiration pneumonia is the biggest risk. Um, most of the times these patients are going to have a persistent cough after eating and drinking. Um, and the a laryngeal tieback itself is, has a 14% post-operative post mortality rate. Um, previously they had done like bilateral tiebacks and that, um, was associated with a 67% mortality rate. So obviously we're not doing that anymore, which is kind of crazy. So that's the one I think we all think of. Um, then there's, I don't even know if I can say it right, ventriculocordectomy and partial arytenoidectomy. So they partially remove the arytenoids and the ventricle, uh, ventricular cords. So this is, they bite out one of the vocal folds and also bite out part of the arytenoid cartilage on the same side. Problem with this is it does cause more bleeding. Um, so a tracheostomy becomes sort of necessary for this one. Um, this one has a 30% mortality rate in patients. So again, not as good of an outcome um, so it's not as common, which is again, why the tie back's done now. <laughs> I love that I get to say this next one. <laughs> the next version or the next part of surgery could be a castellated laryngo fissure. <laughs> I would have butchered that. Like, I'm just you know, not it's so horrible. Uh, so, what this means is a square of the thyroid cartilage is cut. This is so funny. Similar to a castle's turret square behind which an archer may hide. I was like, who comes up with this? But anyways, that's what it said on the surgery website. Cause I went to the American veterinary surgical associates website. Um, this square is moved forward and reattached to create a wider laryngeal opening. So they just, I think made the cartilage have a hole and then make it bigger. Uh, tracheostomy is frequently needed to protect from swelling. <laughs> and then the other option is a permanent tracheostomy tube. So, <laughs> so those are the options that you have for surgery. Um, bilateral ventro ventricular cordectomy, um, through a ventral median laryngotomy, has a good long-term treatment success um, for those with idiopathic laryngeal paralysis. The unilateral arytenoid lateralization use is um, the most suitable method to treat laryngeal paralysis in cats. 
All right. That was a lot. Yeah, it was very surgical and I don't ask me to interpret it. I, I just right? found the information. <laughs> I just know that like for us, like the big things to remember with these guys is like recovering is just monitoring their respiration post-op. Yeah. Um, making sure you don't see any bleeding, <laughs> um, making sure they're still breathing well, keeping a close eye on their temperature, all that stuff. Um, but I feel like most of my patients do really well afterwards. Um, I never have them back after. Yeah. Right. Um, but I get, you know, the big thing too, with clients is making sure that they understand like their, the, their pet's trachea is not protected the same way as it used to be. Um, so there is a risk for aspiration pneumonia for these patients, um, because now we've taken away some of the protection for the trachea. Yeah. I think that's the big thing is just really, it changes how people should feed their dogs a yeah. little. And this is a big thing. Like this was in big, bold letters, no more swimming. So for some yeah. laps, <laughs> this may be a like no go. <laughs> um, Cause I guess, I mean, if you think about it, they swim with an open mouth and that, that puts them in a high risk of water aspiration. So they could just drown from swimming, like just normal swimming. So, um, yeah, you know, might be a game that, that might be a game over for some labs. I think long-term for these though, like, especially like just with client communication though, it's just like, yes, it's repaired, but a lot of these patients are going to get secondary aspiration pneumonia. Mm-hmm. I mean, the big thing on this is you're not, you're, you're not really fixing the problem. You're just, you're making it so that they have a better quality of life. So they're not going to struggle to breathe. Cause I think that's the biggest issue with these guys is like, we're, they're never going to have a normal respiratory system. They're just going to have better quality of life, better able to walk around and, and stuff like that. So it's just, you know, not having, hopefully not having those respiratory crisis situations. So, yeah. Yeah. The other big thing that sucks is they can actually have progression of uh, generalized neurologic signs. So depending on what's the underlying thing, they could get worse. Um, they could get esophageal dysfunction. They may need a temporary tracheostomy tube, even despite having um, had surgery. So, you know, it just kind of depends on what's going on and how they react to it and all those fun things. Yeah. That'd be a bummer. Yeah. I'd be so bummed if I just like put my dog through surgery and then just kidding. Tracheostomy tube. Right. So. Cause like I said, those are so hard to manage anyway. It's the tip of the week. Keep in contact with these clients because a lot of clients don't realize that like coughing is an indicator for something, mm. even though you tell them and they just assume that it's just a one-time thing or because they had a tie back. Um, so I feel like keeping tabs of these patients, this yeah. is also one I was gonna say, and like monitor for like a sound of cough change. Like if it seems instead of just being like a throat clear, all of a sudden it's like a deep hack. Yeah. 
I just, I hear it in my brain, like the lab hack, the who. <laughs> right. You're just like, ah, oh God. Okay. And now for the question of the week. Have you ever assisted with a tracheostomy tube placement Ooh. or management? And how did it go? That's a good question. I, um, I'll share my story really quick. We had a pug. Who, um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I know. God. She was an ancient pug. Um, I don't even remember why she ended up with a trach tube. Like, I, I don't remember what the, the precipitating event was for that. Like if it was a laryngeal paralysis or a mass, I don't even know, but she ended up with a trach tube, but she's a pug. <laughs> so, so we had to, um, we had to like do a neck tuck <laughs> because the folds kept like covering up the tracheal, the tracheostomy tube opening. So for the first like couple of weeks, they had these like hair clips that they like put on the sides and then like tied together in the back. So it would like keep her, it was like a permanent scruff basically. Yeah. Like just keeping <laughs> all the wrinkles out of the breathing hole. Yeah. Yeah. Like away from the breathing hole to be able to breathe. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you want to keep it nice and moist, right? So nebulizing is good. Got to keep a very close eye to make sure there's no mucus that makes it so, you know, you don't have to replace the trach tube too frequently, which if you're doing a temporary one, you will. Um, yeah. I felt bad for this pug. She ended up with a stoma because she had a permanent trach tube. It's crazy. Nice. Tracheostomy, not trach tube. Permanent yeah. tracheostomy. Yeah. It's crazy. They get boogery. Like they get like throat boogers. Yeah. All in them. Well, because you're not like, you're not using your sinuses and your mucous membranes to keep that air moist going in. So then it's dry and then your, your lungs just get mad. Like it's just, ugh. So yeah, that's good old LARPAR for us. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if I've ever seen it in a non-lab. <laughs> just like, nope, they're all labs. Not for like some other secondary, like without some like primary mm, reason. Yeah. Like the LARPAR was secondary. Yeah, that's true. Because like I said, even that bulldog that we had, like, I mean, I guess maybe that was congenital, but like, I don't know. We didn't diagnose it and hmm. I don't know. Interesting. Hmm. So uh, let us know what your experience is with a tracheostomy tube. If you've seen it, if you've never seen it, be um, interesting to get people's experiences. And um, yeah, I could probably live without seeing it again. <laughs> I know. Right. Ooh. Respiratory just oh, makes me so tense. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's the second in ABCs. <laughs> Actually, it's the I know. first airway breathing circulation. Like two of the ABCs are respiratory. Right. <laughs> like double like, check Ooh. your breathing. <laughs> right. Yeah, we did a bronch the other day and uh my boss gets very ner nervous about it. And like surprisingly, mm. I don't know what it, w there must have been something in my coffee because I was pretty chill. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> um, and it was just like a little mini schnauzer, and we were just mm. looking we were looking for a tumor. Um, 
because the dog has a chronic cough and meds don't seem to help. Turns out the dog has a collapsing trachea, but it's all the way down in the um, bronchioles. The, yeah. Uh. And so, but the scoping procedure itself went really well. And my boss was like, I just need you to recover him in oxygen. And it'll be better for him. And I was like, okay. The dog woke <laughs> up like instantly and then like hated the oxygen cage. Like was oh, trying no! to bark and do all this stuff. I was like, so we're not going to recover in oxygen. I moved him to his regular cage where he had started and like, he was fine. I was like, He's like, why isn't he in oxygen? I was like, because he started to bark and growl and pitch a bit. You're like, sometimes <laughs> we just do what's best. Yeah. I was like, so he's nice and pink. His SPO2 was 99. Like, You're like, he's good. He's fine. Let's send him home before he's not. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> nice. Oh, respiratory stuff. Scares me. Yeah. I know. It's like doing this respiratory course for VSPN right now and all the stuff I'm like, Oh God. Yep. Yep. That's, that's where the problems are. <laughs> right. All right, guys. Well, I think that's it for this week. It's kind of exciting <laughs> to be back to our normal <laughs> on that note. Puppies are playing. <laughs> yeah, they've awoken. And now one of them is running off with my like cleaning rag out in the hallway. So I hope everybody has a good week and we'll talk to you guys next week. Bye. Don't get a floor body puppy. No. I know. I know. Let me go snag it. <laughs> Thank you for listening to today's episode of the internal medicine for vet techs podcast. If you like what you heard, we'd love for you to share with someone you think might enjoy the podcast and make sure to subscribe. So you never miss an episode. Want to give us a boost? please leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher and we'll be sure to say thank you. Find out everything about us at internalmedicineforvettex.com. Talk to you next week. Bye.